0: You are listening to the Converge Media Network, uplifting our voices.
1: Prosperity in Black America. What will this require? Is Black business prospering? Are we reaching women and minority-owned businesses? How do we achieve earning parity for wealth for our families? I'm that provocateur of change. I am Cindy Bright. Good evening, everyone. Welcome to Heartbeat. I am your host, Cindy Bright. Thank you for joining us tonight. I know you're all joined because we have a fabulous guest uh, joining us this evening to have a conversation uh, with us in our community here. Uh, Newly elected president of the Alaska, Oregon, Washington, NAACP, Shelley Seacrest is here with us. I'm going to invite her in and I'm also going to bring in our regular commentators, uh, Dr. Jay, Dr. Stephanie Coverson, and Aaron Jones in so that we have a collaborative conversation because we only have Shalee for uh, the first half of the show. So let me first welcome in Shalee Seacrest back to Heartbeat. Hey, Shalee. She's from Washington, D.C. and taking this uh, in the middle of a pavilion back there. Thank you for joining <laughs> us tonight. I wouldn't miss it for the world. Good <laughs> to be back. Let me welcome in Dr. Jay Uh, Dr. Stephanie Coverson uh, and Aaron Jones made it uh, this evening. So let's see. Do I have all of you on screen there? I do. Welcome again, all of you. How are you all doing this evening? Wonderful. Great. Good, good, good. Well, we have a new president sitting in our uh, presence today. We have all these queens and this president. I'm excited that Shalee has won this election. I've gotten to know her over the past year. I'm excited about where we're headed with her leadership. Shalee, I want to turn it over to you. And I want you to have an opportunity to talk to our community about your role, your vision. What are you thinking? How are you feeling? What are you are doing back in D.C.? I know you're at the Black Caucus. Yes. Talk to us. Talk to us. Yes. Well, again, my name is Shalee Seacrest.
0: I have the honor of being your newly elected incoming president of the biggest, the baddest, the fullest, and oldest civil rights organization in the nation. Go ahead, bring the tambourine, the one and only, in NAACP. I am so excited. This position has never been held by a woman. Can you believe that? Right, of the regional for the state area um, conference. Never a woman, always the bridesmaid, never the bride. And so <laughs> finally being able to hold this position and I'm fired up because don't get me wrong, NAACP in Washington State, Alaska and Oregon, we've done historic things, mm-hmm. right? Um, dis- dismantling um, the way that police officers investigate complaints of misconduct on a statewide level, um, mind you the officers who murdered Manuel ellis um they actually are going facing trial it should start next week down in pierce county um Mm -hmm. superior court right Mm -hmm. that is historic um Mm -hmm. that we actually have prosecuted officers and that was nothing but the movement of people because mind you when the police officers were investigating themselves nothing was getting done. The officers were put back on the police force, NAACP community organizing. We told the governor, we need something at the state level, independent. The governor said, we don't have anything. So we said, build it. right? And that was a push with the NAACP, a people's action to be able to set up an independent um, investigative body to look at officers. That's how we got the criminal complaints actually filed, right? So we've done historic things. In the past NAACP, our regional conference, we've um, eliminated the death penalty in Washington State, right? Being able to point out that I think we had of the nine people on death row sentenced to the death penalty, five were Black. Of the nine, five were Black. And so first we had the superior, um, the Supreme Court say, that is, that is racist, right? Um, the same crime is being committed, but we are sentencing people to the death penalty based off of the color of their skin. Um, and so in AACP, we actually were able to make that, um, dismantle that altogether, right? And so a couple of months ago, we ended the death penalty.
1: So we okay. done historic work. Uh-huh. Can I just ask you, since you're talking about uh, the police issues, there are two things happening right now here in the Seattle area. One is the um, the Seattle Police Department that ran over the young woman and uh, laughed and caught it on body cam. I'd love to hear your response to that. There's also... Jury selection is happening now for Manny Ellis in Tacoma. Mm -hmm. And so I'd love to hear your thoughts about both of those issues uh, from the perspective of the NAACP now.
0: So the thing is with the regional, so we handle all things at the state level, right? We champion the state legislators. We champion the governor. Um, in all three states of Washington, Alaska, and Oregon. So ours is just thinking statewide policy and legislative action. The um, Tacoma NAACP, they are watching the um, Manny Ellis trial, the convictions, because mind you, this is more than just, we want more than just simply filing um, charges against the officers. In a case like this, we actually wanted a conviction. And so the NAACP locally is looking at what barriers are in place of what happens when white officers kill a black man, right? If, if there's not a conviction, that just gives the card blanche. Hey, it's okay. There's no accountability. And so, mm-hmm. of course, the local NAACP is looking at those, th- those barriers that would allow those types of things, right? So jury selection, we are looking at, um, what is causing black folks not to be able to qualify for jury duty? Right. I'm a criminal defense attorney of almost two decades. Most of my jurors and I go to trial all the time. I love trial. Most of my jurors are white. Mm -hmm. Right. And so we're looking at, well, what causes them not to be able to serve? Um, The one of the questions that are asked are, do you have felony convictions? Right. And sometimes when they say yes, is that a barrier? Does that mean that you're not able to be a juror of of peers? Do we have to look at laws, right? Qualifications, what could disqualify someone from sitting on jury duty? Um, So that's one of the local things that the NAACP is handling. Same thing with the Seattle Police Department. You've got to know the local branch would handle that. um, Seattle, King County and ACP is making certain that that officer, are they on the torch, right? Is that what we want our officers? Is that the professionalism, the standard that we're setting for our officers who would laugh at stuff like that, right? Um, so the local branch is having conversations. Ours at the state level, we're looking at public policy Um, at the state level, we were on the governor's task force that did the historic police reform bill. Jesse Johnson, um, Deborah Intiman, they did landmark legislation on police reform. NAACP, we focused on the training and making certain that that training included, making certain that they did it under a racial, um, a racial analysis, right? We, we, we were intentional on in making sure that the investigators who are looking at complaints and misconduct, that they are trained on how to do so under a racial lens. Otherwise, you just get investigations that didn't know how to apply race into it, and they would let the officers off, right? So you got to think of what we do. Ours is at the state level, and the branches, they handle everything at the local, municipal levels. Got it. Yep. My vision for the state, I see. So I'm excited about what we've done. I am also excited about what we're going to do. So under my term, I want to make certain that when we talk about things for public policy and public safety, one of the things in AACP, we are known for um, marches and protests and making certain that we mobilize community to hit the streets whenever there's a um, a wrongful death action or a black man against an officer. We're known for that. Mm-hmm. We've heard also, though, they ask, well, what are you guys doing for black on black crime? Right? You hear the conservative talking, right? When they want to shift um, the conversation from police officer misconduct into, well, you guys also have a problem in your own community. Well, the truth is we're, we are tired of burying our children, right? We need to make certain that um, our community-based organizations have the resources that are addressing violence inside of the black community. And truth is Washington state, we are underfunding that effort, right? Youth violence prevention, Washington state in comparison to the other states surrounding us, we only give like eight to $10 million only, right? Knowing that we are putting the pressure on our community-based organizations to keep children inside of the classroom, Right. They are the ones who are making certain that our black boys are back inside of the seat saying you are brilliant. You can learn. Um, you're being told that you have a learning disability and need special ed. Get back inside of the classroom. show your right? These are the community based organizations who are keeping children in school. But they're making it on the broken pieces. Right. We're not giving them the funding to do so. Recidivism. Probation officers aren't able to do it. Like a get a Eugene Youngblood who served 20 Mm -hmm. years inside of a state penitentiary. Get him with somebody, a young person, and tell and let him talk to him and say, "Look here, sir, you don't want to make these same moves as I." They can reach our folks in ways that no probation officer is going to be able to do it. But we don't pay them to do it. So the NAACP, we want to make certain that we are securing state funding. Sorry, you see the folks. We're making certain that we're securing state funding to the community based organizations in the Black community who are serving Black folks, that they're able to actually get the funding um, to do it. So, public safety is going to focus on youth violence prevention. Education is a key concern. We saw this United States Supreme Court dismantle affirmative action in education. Aaron right, which was absurd. Uh, they were set talking about it doesn't exist anymore, right all of those things that we know it simply does. Um, so NAACP at the regional level level, we're working with our state colleges and we are still telling them we don't care what the what the Supreme Court says. you know that your campuses, your students will learn better with our black students inside of your classrooms And so, we're working with them creating pipelines and intentional partnerships to make certain that they're not only admitted, but that they enjoy themselves while they're there, their retention rates. Um, and so we've got Lakeisha Phillips, who is a school board director for Federal Way Public Schools. She's now the chairwoman of the education, and she'll make certain that our Black kids are in higher learning, right? Mm-hmm. And that they're thriving while they're there, right? Which is hard because sometimes being a student on predominantly white institutions it's a struggle within itself especially as we're seeing folks shying away in the in the classroom talking about race and so we're making certain that we keep race in the forefront um say it loud right i like black students on my campus those types of things will be a focus and then finally um we are going to focus on of course voter registration. That is a flagship of the NAACP and we are going into governor races, presidential races, right? All of those executive things. And so NAACP at the state level, we're being strategic with ours. We're shying away from party politics. We're not we're not concerned about Democrat and Republican Party as much as we are about what issues are the candidates um, supporting, right? That's the key, folks. Folks want to make certain that their candidate is aligned with the values concerning the Black community more than they are about whether or not you're a Democrat or a Republican, right? How are you going to help us? And what have you done? Don't promise me a better tomorrow if you can't show me what you're doing today, right? That's what the folks are looking And so, NAACP, we are building a Black voter block. Where in our state, where in our region? Are there communities that are already voting together? And how can we make certain that we're educating them to vote on issues that are important to them? So take, for instance, you all remember the start of the $15 an hour minimum wage campaign. That started in the city of SeaTac. And the reason why it started, it was intentional. The reason why it started in the city of SeaTac was because of their high East African population, which votes in these blocks, right? Mm-hmm. It was one of the easiest organizing pieces. And so once we won the minimum wage campaign in CTEC, we said, aha, we understand how to mobilize community, right? And we moved it then to Seattle using the exact same type of figuration. Well, NAACP, we want to do the same thing on a regional level, right? And so we're hitting the voting blocks that are naturally a part of that and making certain guys are registered, these are the issues, and make certain that our voices are heard collectively. That's just some. Don't get me started. I got a whole plan.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Do the, I'm going to open it up to everyone to ask questions, if you want to. Well,
0: congratulations.
2: Yes. Congratulations. Yes. (laughs)
3: Go ahead, Erin,
2: I'll wait. No, I just wanted to ask a question about policing, because I know the most recent um, article that I heard on the news about this most recent, the vice president and the president of the t- of the police union, that there is a law in our state still that allows them to be on the street. That's what I heard this week is that they're still working right now and, and that that is a law that needs to be overturned by the legislature this year. So, I'm curious, you know, how do we support you to make sure that that happens? I was just mortified by how, I mean, two people who are that lighthearted about losing someone's life and should not be working in policing. I mean, and, and the fact that they're two leaders of the union says so much more. The other thing I'm wondering is, what videos do we not have access to where they're talking like that about other people? If they're talking like this on a body cam i promise you that other people are talking like that when they're not on camera and so i'm curious what we can do to support you to make sure that doesn't happen anymore
0: so washington state we've got the de-escalate washington remember that that was focused more on um police misconduct for use of force right um matters um a wrongful wrongful death type of inquiry all of those that was That's more of where the state is able to kind of pull into a local jurisdiction and analyze where you guys follow your policies and all of that. It's harder for state action to be able to do um, it when there's no um, use of force connected. In this case, it is a um, unprofessionalism. So it may be housed right there. The question, though, is the OPA um, the Office of Professional Accountability, that is the city of Seattle's police department, which I was on for four years. Um, how could they have done nothing, right? Once, what did they know? Did they turn the blind eye? Did they stick their, you know, face in the sand, right? And I'll be honest, Aaron, if they stuck their face in the sand, the people need to make certain that there's a foot inside of their behind, right? Did you know anything and did nothing? Um, so those are more of the questions that we need to be asking. Of You've got an entire civilian oversight system in place, and it's not working if these officers were allowed to return, right? That more is the inquiry, but again, that's at the local level, right? Why have an OPA system if this type of stuff, you guys were aware, and it wasn't enough to remove these officers?
3: Yep. Okay. Well, congratulations, Queen Shalee. I'm just so proud of you. So good to see you. I'm glad that education is uh, one of the agenda items for statewide NAACP. And we know there are many states who are, are seeking to just change, rewrite history in their curriculum. If, is there any, <laughs> are there any plans to make sure that our state does not do that? And if so, uh, how can we support you there? You
0: doing okay? yeah. Thank you. Yes. Um, so, mind you, NAACP work different than other civil rights organizations. Um, take, for instance, our brothers and sisters at the ACLU. They focus on civil rights protections for all of the classes, right? Um, na- national origin discrimination, um, gender discrimination, all of those protected classes. ACLU, they're on the front lines for that. We've got our brothers and sisters at the Urban League. Um, who focus on direct services, right? Um, if you are homeless, um, African American, or the Urban League is going to feed the homeless, right? Direct services. NAACP, we focus on race. That is our, we know race. We know how it shifts, how it hides and sneaks, right? Folks say that the race, um, the Ku Klux Klan, Move from wearing hoods into business suits. Exactly. Uh, (laughs) Right? We know what it looks like. Um, Mm -hmm. And so we're experts at race. So to answer your question, Dr. J, um, in education, we are making certain that we continue to talk about race in the curriculum, right? How do we make certain that our little brothers and our little um, black boys and girls sitting inside of a classroom? who very much experience racism, right? Um, That they know how to process what is happening if we don't talk about race both in the past and what it looks like of what they're going through. They're gonna think that they're losing their minds or that it's them or any of those types of things. And so for the NAACP, we are saying we will continue to talk about race in the curriculum and be intentional with it. Otherwise, folks are going to um, feel like it's them. They'll internalize this stuff. How come I'm different? What's wrong with it, right? All of those things that they, that we have to equip both the teachers and the students inside of the classroom,
4: yep. Thank you so much, Shelly. I have a question. I wanna go back to um, policing and, what I really want to ask about is, so, you know, there's legislation. Um, and I also, though, think there's a significant problem with police unions, mm. right, um, that mm. are allowing this behavior and based, frankly encouraging it. Um, and so the person that uh, was on the phone with that police officer you know, key key keying and making light of the the tragic death, you know, of this young person, was the police union, and so I would love to hear um, the NAACP's uh, plan or strategy to um, address them, because as long as they are protected in the way that they're protected. Um, and you know, just being also a strong uh, lobbying arm, you know, in the legislature, it 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 just feels like what we do legislatively will be hamstrung by uh, the union's continued shenanigans. So what's the strategy, and how can we help there? Yes. um the police guilds
0: are are the unions itself, that is more of the disciplinary arm to the police departments, right? Um, Let's give an example, a local police chief can um, authorize sanction of a police officer. And if the police officer goes through the hearings um, and appeal of the police chief's decision, say suspension or termination, um, that union comes in with their attorneys and they can reverse the police chief's actions, right? The guilds are very powerful. The way that the guilds operate, though, is at the city level. The city council and the mayor, they are—they negotiate the police guild's contracts. And some of those negotiations are done behind closed door, doors without community input. Um, a lot of the reform measures that the people tried to implement, um, things that would cause a police officer to get terminated. All of those things, community, we we had solutions. This is what reform would look like. Um, but especially if we're talking about the city of Seattle, where you're referencing the, these officers are from the city of Seattle. Um, it was the it was the city council and the mayor in the negotiations with the police guild that they have those conversations which are private um they can't be shared cuz they're negotiations right mm-hmm. um and so that really has been the biggest barrier and the question is can the state interfere with public or with private negotiations that really is the gist um the city of Seattle. The only reason why the judges were able to look at the way that they negotiated those private, those private, that private process. Excuse me, time time. The only reason why someone else was able to look at the process in which the guild was negotiating with city council and the mayor was because the city of Seattle, that police department, is under a federal consent decree, mm-hmm. and so they were being investigated of. How are you guys doing this, including your your um, guild negotiations? Somebody was looking to see the overall, you know, process. That's rare, right? And so the state, where I'm at, I don't believe that we're able to be a part of that process, right? Yep.
4: Is there a way, though, to influence that to sort of? the the background that you gave there is there a way though that we can influence um this the county council city council um i mean even the washington state patrol it just it seems uh i don't know you know personally i'm getting to the point where i'm struggling you know to pay taxes to fund state sanctioned violence and murder um in communities of color Mm. amen
0: absolutely right how do we turn how do we turn our anger into action right what can we do about it Mm -hmm. um it it is important that if we're talking about in this case the seattle police department that's the seattle city council that's the seattle mayor know that they have their contract negotiations the guild um, has to negotiate. This is, this is how we make certain what the pay rate for officers are. This is the process of, um, suspension and, you know, discipline, all of those things. That's, that's the guild, you know, the contract negotiations. The city, um, the community, we can attend some of those hearings, right? We even protested city council saying, stop negotiating our rights behind closed doors. Like it's been a full on battle trying to make sure that you guys are operating under the community's voice. So um, if you wanted to get involved, the community um, police commission, they usually have a really good, um, the director of that is police across. They usually have a good strategy plan of action for community to be a part of those contract negotiations between the police department and the guild,
4: right? Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, that's your go-to if you want to have input. I'll be honest with you, when it comes to that discipline, though, they don't listen to community as much as they should, right? It's not enough. And to which I say, you're too dog with no bark. We're telling you guys what the problems are and all we can do is make recommendations and you guys aren't implementing the re- recommendations mm-hmm. um that's the problem but that's the power of the guild right now and so that really is that's where the battle is but that's on a local level yep
1: very helpful to hear uh Shelley. i want to be respectful of your time because i know you're in the street we can hear the horns going <laughs> <laughs> behind and see people dancing i know I don't want to cut you short, I, but I do know we're at the half hour. So I want to honor your time and say thank you for coming on with us. We, the, the four of us will continue a conversation about some things here in the community. You can probably catch the rest of the show later, but I, I just wanted to say thank you and, and allow you to uh, head to your next appointment or your next um I think you're going to party personally, but I'm going <laughs> to <laughs> There's a little, There's a little bit of that, right? With the Congressional
0: Black Caucus, they do a little bit of that too. Work yeah. hard and play hard. Thank but you look, so I much. look forward to being able to join you ladies, sit at the table again, and share the work that's being done. Um, in AACP, we are making certain that we are moving in action to do the work um, with the racial lens. We are unapologetically fighting against racism Um, and we're building an army of anti-racists, right? Folks who are willing to do the work to dismantle the system. That's going to be a full time. I mean, I know we're going to have a whole bunch of stuff to talk about (laughs) because we are going to kick up dust. Do you hear me? And so I am excited and ready for it. You Thank have, you for having me on yes, your you show. Have, you
1: have access here anytime. You know that. So we'll look forward to staying in touch with you. Thank you, Shelly. Thank you. Same. Bye. Bye, everyone. Thank yeah. you. Good seeing you. Yeah. Wow. I didn't realize she was the first woman elected to the president of the NAACP. In 2023, we're still having firsts.
4: <laughs>
0: yeah, that that
1: caught me off guard too. Mm. As did your comment, uh, Stephanie, Dr. Coverson, about I'm tired of paying taxes. We're literally paying for murder. And just to hear it like that, it's like, "Ooh, that's so powerful and so true of what's happening here. I mean, it
4: is. And as many times I could just think back in my career with the state, you know, when somebody would call upset for whatever reason um you know i pay your salary i pay your taxes mm-hmm. you know i pay my taxes i pay your salary mm-hmm. and that is absolutely true mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. um with these public entities whether it be city county or state mm-hmm. and so in essence you know every time mm-hmm. um an unarmed person is murdered um at the hands of the police that is state sanctioned violence and murder. Like cause mm-hmm. it is beyond an accident, right? Mm-hmm. It is beyond an accident. Mm-hmm. Like there is a clearly an established pattern. And mm-hmm. particularly with the city of Seattle, there's a reason that there is a consent decree. You know, it is not like it was a lotto. And instead of winning, you know, five point six billion dollars, you won a consent decree. Like mm-hmm. that didn't happen on that didn't happen on accident. Mm
1: -hmm. And so
4: every time they don't clean it up and, you know, stuff like this happens, Mm -hmm. you know, what happened to that young woman could have been prevented. Mm -hmm. And I think about her backstory where her mother, a single parent, a single mother, um, saved her money up to send her to school over here in the United States, hoping for, You know, a better life um, for her daughter, you know, world class education, all those things. And then uh, for her daughter to be killed like that and those folks laughing about it and then the gaslighting that, oh, I was pretend I was talking about this from the standpoint of an attorney. This is how the attorneys talk. Sir, we hear you. I mean, that's, you know, that's the purpose of the body cams, right? So that you can't say that kind of stuff and do the, you know, the dirt that happens, you know, in the dark of night and on the sides of roads and everything else. And frankly, I'm just tired.
0: Mm -hmm.
3: Hopefully, this will bring up again the movement to change the language in our state's use of force law which Amnesty International a few years back around 2016 uh, had listed as the most egregious in the nation where pretty much uh, law enforcement officers can uh, commit homicide uh, unjustified basically uh, with impunity, forget conviction, they're protecting the law from even being charged. Mm -hmm. So I know that she said they're going to focus (laughs) on youth violence prevention and making sure that the community-based organizations get the monies that they need to make sure that our babies are educated. Yet, perhaps this might be a time to think about looking at that statewide legislation again. Mm -hmm. That statute.
1: Absolutely. I wonder also... You probably know more about this, Dr. J, than I do, but I wonder um, as part of equity work in the state and as part of, it's it's what Dr. Coverson just said, I wonder if we can try to get some policy in place to take the 7% Black population that we have here in Washington state and stop us from paying all these taxes. Like- as part of reparations or a way to like, we're paying to have our kids and community murdered. And there is a gross injustice in that alone. And 7% of black people are putting a portion a probably a good chunk of money revenue into the state. Is there a way that we should attack that as a black community to go after some sort of policy or some sort of way of uh, policy that we don't pay taxes until these issues are dealt with, at the, until they're dealt with?
3: Hmm. Strategy would be twofold. One, hmm. to create a statewide coalition and, and a leader of that coalition to lead the legislative campaign. And then two, finding a sponsor, preferably in the House and the Senate, to build someone to sponsor that legislation. And to the degree that there are facts that substantiate a one-page, here's the problem, here's what we're recommending as a solution, Um, to get somebody behind it, that's how that would take place. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so so, 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 so the president of the NAACP indicated that they are looking at statewide issues, mm -hmm. not quite sure if this is one that would fit into the police accountability category. But definitely it would be worth a conversation to see if perhaps they would like to also be part of that coalition since they are mm-hmm. part of the police accountability coalition. But th- but this would be perfect timing because as Julie mentioned, De-Escalate Washington, you know, there's a, a the Office of Police Accountability. Uh, there's a whole group of people who are still very concerned about reparations in this area and accountability so that my suggestion. I,
4: and i'd like to push back a little bit on the idea of alleviating um seven percent of you know the uh of black folks who are seven percent of the population from paying taxes um what i would be very interested in seeing is whatever that dollar amount is that it is added onto uh and invested in our communities right and so if it doesn't fit within police you know accountability if that's sort of not the theme that they're talking about uh can you fit it in with the school Mm -hmm. right The, the education systems that are failing um You know, black and brown uh, children with sort of the disparate impacts there, Uh, law enforcement, health care, you know, just on and on and on. I mean, this is systemic. Um, And uh, my worry, it's sort of about this not paying taxes around um, that that 7 percent getting our taxes back. Is all that's going to happen is that they, you know, cut the budgets for those um, social services and education programs, you know, that are already MacGyvering whatever, uh, you know, uh, programming and stuff that they do that will impact our community. Mm-hmm. Um, my other giggle in my mind is um, Schoolhouse Rock right and so the teller of history right the the victor um gets to tell the history and so what we are really talking about is in essence what we were taught about the boston tea party right no taxation without representation <laughs> right and so we just don't happen to be um as a community sort of the victors in this in in this situation and um yeah it's it's just very disheartening to continue to you know pay taxes into a system that then turns around and gaslights us and tells us you know it's something that we're doing wrong or our communities are doing wrong as to why we're not uh thriving and frankly barely surviving Mm -hmm.
2: so i wonder um I've been talking a lot about policing lately. I think because of this situation, but also, you know, we've had a number of guns, weapons brought to schools just in the first weeks of school. um, School shootings already. I mean, it's just, um, just there's just so much violence. I literally recorded a video before um, the show today, just about the weird stuff, violent nation, and I I see more verbal violence in schools than I've ever seen before, um, and attacking of our children. So black children and queer children are the two populations that I'm seeing attacked more than ever in, in my education career. And I wonder, you know, when the defund the police movement started as a language person, I, I found that defund was really problematic because it's not actually what people wanted to do. They didn't actually want to defund police. They wanted to reallocate resources in different places. And, and, um, Kind of charge police to do different things and charge cities to do different things with that money. And so I wonder, you know, how do we reimagine what this defund police message is? How how, I think we need to be able to reimagine because it's not about just, I think abolition is one thing. I don't think abolition is going to happen at this point around policing. I just don't have a lot of faith that abolition is going to happen. But how do we help? systems and force systems to reimagine how they are are doing their policing, how they're supporting communities, how they are showing up in school spaces to children and how are we reallocating resources so that we invest on the front end so that we don't have all the violence on the back end. I, I don't know, I, I haven't thought through this all the way yet, but I think we're looking at times at the wrong thing. We're looking at the end after the failures happened. And how do we start from the beginning with investment in community? Where are the places that we need to invest? And yes, the back end needs to be held accountable as well. But when I think about taxes, the difference between the United States and the Netherlands where I grew up, in the Netherlands, they they were preventative. So the taxes were invested in preventative measures to make sure that people didn't end up homeless, to make sure that people had an education through their PhD, to make sure that when people lost jobs, because people are going to lose jobs, period, for a lot of different reasons there was re-education for people that was free and folks got a an allocation of money while they were being retrained for another job then i came to the us and it's almost like in the us you have to be failing enough in order to get support and so we wait until the very end and it's almost like you have to prove that you are failing enough we have to prove that there's enough violence to do anything instead of what is the preventative stuff that we could do that and it just boggles my mind. Like we're so much the scarcity, so much the waiting for the violence and everything be destroyed first before we step in to solutions.
1: You know, when I, when I think about, when I look at it through my quote unquote corporate America lens, you know, when I look at the type of people that are being hired as police officers. Now, I've met wonderful police officers, like there are definitely people out trying to serve and protect. So, but to get, to have hired that many racists into an organization says that there's a problem on the front end of who you're actually going after to bring in to the system. Now what corporate America does, when it wants to get rid of all, all of its problem people, And I realized that there is a labor union here and the unions disciplinary and termination processes. I don't have any insight into the Seattle uh, process, but what corporations do is they basically bell curve these folks to the bottom of the bottom 10% of people. And they reorg, they reorganize the organization and just eliminate jobs and people from the system that they want to get rid of because job eliminations Quasi protect the organization because it's not firing for cause and it's a group and they use the Warren Act and all that sort of stuff. And I just don't know the police contracts well enough, but it feels to me like, how come we can't just get rid of these people? Like they brought these folks. You can't change the DNA of an eat. That cop was evil to laugh and to to not be able to have any empathy the the you're hiring folks that have no character no integrity hatred in their bones like what that system to bring them in that is part of the issue all in itself how are they even coming to a police force when they have that caliber and there are too many tools and ways stephanie and i can talk about this to let cows come home there's too many behavioral assessments there's too many ways that you should be able to discern if somebody is a, a racist or not. You should be able to see that at the front end. How are we failing it at the entry point? Because once they get in and they grow into a union, cop, you know, they, their labor, they're there, they're, we talk about career politicians all the time. We have career cops. They're there forever and they're protected by the guild or the unions. It's just, it's perplexing to me how we can't get rid of them.
4: Absolutely. You know, something that I have been sitting with in my journey to Dr. Coverson is new ways of thinking. And so something that's been on my mind a lot is emergence theory, um, which, you know, just basically talks about how complex systems and patterns arise just out of uh, simple interactions replicated over and over again. And so basically, you know, when we are talking about systems, right, systems are basically groups of people doing things. Mm-hmm. Right. And so I think that from my perspective, looking at things through, looking at policing and the police departments, um specifically but not you know in the absence of other departments is that there are multiple individuals having interactions um that are doing inappropriate things and so and i'm not just talking about the people the the police officers that shoot and kill unarmed people or sa um People, uh, both men, women, gender non-conforming people. So this power through SA, um, the the conversations, the comments, those things are happening. Yes, right. And what we ha- we I don't think talk about enough is that they're in the locker room, or you know the. Morning meetings or whatever talking and key key, king about Mm. it as we saw in this dash cam and nobody's doing anything about it. Mm. Nobody's challenging it or reporting it Um, or you have partners out in or other, you know, officers arriving at scenes and they're getting their story straight or, um, you know, Like, I'm going to be silent, but I'm going to not be down with you to say these things. And then you have people who promote these people into other positions and then ultimately they're in charge of things, right? And so this is a system that has been occurring for centuries, you know, and is actually kind of back related to slave patrol right and so if the foundation is rotten and the columns and the the walls and the structures and the roof are all rotten how are we expecting anything different to happen without uh bulldozing the foundation getting rid of the toxic dirt and sort of everything else we wouldn't put a house we wouldn't put a building we wouldn't put a community center in an old toxic dumping ground right without i mean hopefully we're not doing it all but you know they say if you take x amount of dirt out and bring fresh dirt i mean this is a a problem that has been a problem for four hundred years, but just by different names. Mm-hmm. And as long as we allow individuals to do individual things unchecked, unaccounted for, uh, not named, shamed, fired, whatever it takes, we're not gonna we're not gonna see anything different, and we're gonna continue like our grandchildren and great grandchildren are gonna have a heartbeat show, you know, mm-hmm. in about. <laughs> 25 50 years lamenting the same things
0: mm.
3: exactly that's exactly the, the the point law enforcement was the original slave patrol and so to your question Aaron how, how do we even reimagine this you know when you were talking about the Netherlands it was interesting we had I suggested that our prosecuting attorney go back to his homeland in uh, uh Norway and 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 figure out how what they how it is that they didn't shoot people and bring that back to the, the situation here where we had two young black men shot in Olympia. And what was clear is there was not racism in Norway. There were black people they have no Second Amendment in Norway. As a matter of fact they didn't even have guns. As a matter of fact, when you go to prison there it's like going to a country club why? Because they expect that when they get people get out of prison that they're going to be good neighbors. Well, that assumes that the white neighbor is human. And, and so to reimagine defund the police, and by the way, that didn't come from the Black people after George Floyd was murdered. Black people said, stop killing us. Take your knee Kill. off our neck. There are others who raised up the defund the police narrative that got attached to that as a, for other agendas. but. You're sitting with emerging theories, uh, Doc, groups of people doing different things. What I was sitting with all day was, this is gonna require a renewing, a mind effort. We can no longer be conformed to the world's way of thinking, but have to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. And for me, it all goes back to rehumanizing Black people. Because as long as the narrative is black equals slave equals dehumanized, vilified, criminalized, we'll continue to have a group of people doing the same types of thing. Mm -hmm. That's why a group of black police officers could kill the black man in Memphis because of the culture that said that that was okay. Now we knew good and well for them to do that, it had to be over money or a woman. Now, we knew that.
0: Oh, we we did know that. We knew that. <laughs> yeah. But
3: for me, it was a, a, a really a talking point when I was in the chair as the uh, director of the Office of Equity, is to talk about the power of a culture, irrespective of melanin, in a law enforcement culture. Of course, they thought they could get away with it. Because that's what police have been allowed to do
4: mm-hmm.
3: and be believed for whatever story they, they want to give. Either they're at fear of their life or the person who resisted arrest. Those are the two that usually fly.
4: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And there's no accountability there's for no doing accountability. something.
3: Different. I mean, would black, but then, then suddenly you could oh, be charged.
4: Right. Then right. Then and our friends in Memphis. You know, those officers in Memphis, you know, while they drunk the Kool-Aid, you know, around that culture forgot. Forgot. They forgot. Mm-hmm. Um, and were, you know, very quickly reminded. And it will be interesting to see. How many other police officers now that Memphis PD was able to demonstrate that you shouldn't you don't get to be on your job for six months while they do an investigation? It was quick, quick, quick. Mm -hmm. And so I haven't seen quick, quick, quick again. Mm -hmm. So the quickness is selective.
1: Erin, I wanted to hear more about your comments. Um, First off, I want to acknowledge that um, I can feel your, the energy coming off of you this evening, I can tell you're disturbed tonight. Um, I know we all are, but I notice it with you this evening and your comment about what's going on in the first week of school, the things that you're observing and being, can you talk more about that or is, is, is that, yeah, okay? yeah I, I wanted to hear. Yeah,
2: I mean, so Okay, a couple of things. Doctor J just talked about the spirit, and I, I want to mention, you know, I grew up in the Netherlands during apartheid, and so I got to watch from a distance South Africa, and just with the horrors of apartheid. But then also, as they came out of it with the Truth and Reconciliation Project, and mm-hmm. and obviously that hasn't fixed everything, right? Mm-hmm. But I am really a believer that if we don't get to the root of this stuff. Mm-hmm. There is a war that is inevitable, right, mm-hmm. and we're fighting that war right now, like yeah. we are in that war right now and and there are bodies that are lying all all, all yeah. over the they're strewn all across our country, and some of those bodies are still technically living, but they're still we're still in a war that is killing people and and I think until we're able to look really honestly at our history, mm-hmm. all of us. It is. So so here's the thing that really disturbs me about that police officer. As much as we can say he has dehumanized that that brown woman, by the way, she was not black, but she was brown. Mm
0: -hmm.
2: He is unhuman. He is unhuman, too. Right. And so Mm -hmm. I think the thing that's so disturbing to me is he is being perceived as dehumanizing someone else. But I see his lack of humanity in the work that he's doing. And that is the thing that, man, we have lost our humanity as a country. Yes. And that lack of of humanity translates to like all people in this country are being harmed by it. But but I think we're just focusing on the ways it's harmed us. But I my message as I go into I'm about to be in rural Oregon all next week. So I will be speaking in every region in Oregon. Me. I am addressing every student body leader in the state of Oregon in five days. So I'm going to be in some spaces where they think a particular way about people who look like me. But here's the thing that I'm walking in with. They have lost a part of their humanity when they don't see me as being also made in God's image. Right. Right. And so how how do we get back to that? Um, and I think that's why I'm so disturbed because children are watching all of this. Mm-hmm. And all children know to do with their immature minds is to <sighs> reflect back to us what they're seeing in mm-hmm. the adults. And so it is inevitable that we're going to see greater violence in schools this year. It's inevitable because we're seeing greater violence in adults that is being sanctioned and promoted and encouraged and elevated. And I mean, it's just and so it's inevitable. I mean, I just I know how children are. And because of the technology that they carry in their hands, where they get to see that violence all the time and they get to see the lack of accountability. How do you tell a child they can't use the word, the N word? when they're seeing adults use the n-word? How do you tell a child it's not okay to carry a weapon when they see adults carrying weapons and using them? How do you tell a child it's not okay to dehumanize others when they see adult leaders dehumanizing others, right? And that's the thing that I'm really disturbed by right now that just there's this wrestling in my spirit. So I'm headed to see Tim Wise tonight down here in Centralia. And I love Tim Wise in a way, and yet there's also lots of money that he's making on talking about anti-racism <laughs> and stuff is not changing. So we can talk and talk and talk and talk and talk. And people are going to go to this. And I bet I'll be the only Black person in that auditorium mm-hmm. today. It's part of the reason I'm going. I, I bet I'll be the only Black person there. And people are coming to tickle their ears and to say, we went to our, to hear Tim Wise talk about anti-racism and what is gonna change tomorrow?
3: So I know Dr. Coverson, you probably wanna say something, but you've you've touched my heart because you are in the space that I've been in for a a few years now. And I'm just concerned that we're killing one another because of the hatred in our heart over something that we had no say-so in.
0: Mm -hmm.
3: And again, I just thank you, Cindy, for the platform to lift up love as a verb, as an act of our will. We find our way back to ourselves and to other selves, Ubuntu, the interconnectedness of humanity. Uh, Because Mm -hmm. racism, the system, which is really about greed, power and control. Greed, power and control is what we're really talking about here has harmed, as we've been talking about all night, everyone, those who have been in positions to be oppressed and and, and those who have been the oppressor. And that's what I'm hearing you say, Aaron, it's hurting everyone such that people like Dr. Coverson are saying, you know what? And I don't want to contribute another dollar to a system that's killing us. And so whatever we can do to start modeling love, to to start elevating the interconnectedness of of humanity, I hate to keep bringing up Dr. King, but I'm not gonna apologize, he said, either we will learn to live one another, live together as brothers, or we'll perish together as fools. And I see us on the trajectory of perishing, I, lest we forget, I don't know what the 2024 takeaway 1776 is, can't do the math in my head anymore, but I bet you it's less than a thousand years, I bet you it's less than 2,000 years, the age of many nations who are in maturity and we're still, I don't even know if our nation has even hit puberty, puberty, and they're watching us destroy ourselves. And how would one even not even imagine that no one is waiting to attack America for the colonization and the destruction of lives in their nations when we robbed their natural resources, when, when we came in and colonized them and did in their nations what they've done here? Blood is thicker than water. And, you know, in many of these other nations of brown and, and red and other people groups, uh, I, th- I think they're looking at water and then how they're going to be able to uh, watch the, the Americans implode based on skin color, whatever. Well, it's already happening.
4: Yeah. I mean, our democracy has been downgraded, like our democracy credit rating. <laughs> uh, our democracy has been has been downgraded behind all of the shenanigans, um, you know, that have been occurring.
1: Ladies, we are at the hour and um, I want to honor and recognize your all of your contributions to this show tonight. We could talk about this forever. Um, what's going through my heart right now is the term Stephanie and I have been talking about all week, which is courageous together, that the only way that we're going to actually be able to change anything in this world is what you're talking about Dr. J is what you're talking about, Aaron, is uh, this is a heart condition. It's why I call this show Heartbeat. This is about the heart condition of this country that is impacting brown and black people. And unless we start to work together, we're going to perish together. Thank you all for uh, joining me tonight. I appreciate you being on with me. And to our listeners who uh, joined us this evening, thank you for joining this show each week. I enjoy having you um, on or following. I enjoy your comments and feedback that I'm receiving from you. I enjoy your emails that you're sending encouraging this work. We will continue this work to be courageous together. Heartbeat will not be on air next week. I have a commitment that I have to attend on behalf of Converge, but we will be back uh, the first Wednesday in October. So have a good week. I look forward to seeing you next time.